Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, we're featuring a conversation recorded in person last month at Salesforce's Connections Conference in Chicago. This year, Salesforce Connections was all about creating wow moments, those unforgettable interactions that bring your brand to life. So head over to salesforce.com slash plus, that's Salesforce Plus, to hear from Salesforce CMO Sarah Franklin, Adam Michaels, he's the Chief Digital Officer at Crocs, and Dwayne Wade, the NBA champion, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. And of course, you can learn the latest on marketing automation and personalization and so much more. But today on Blazing Trails, we're talking about developing a next-generation marketing team. What are the skills needed? Who are the key players? And what should you be thinking about to future-proof your team? Joining us is Sabrina Heiss. She's the Vice President of Consumer Engagement at NBC Sports Group and Jess Koberis, SVP Cloud Marketing at Salesforce. So let's get into it. Sabrina, welcome to Blazing Trails. Thank you for having me. And Jessica, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Okay, great. Well, Sabrina, let's start with you. And can you just tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are now at NBCU? Yeah, so I lead our CRM email marketing at NBC Sports. Uh, Everything from our data capture, how we're collecting data, how we're using and thinking of data, and then eventually to how we're communicating to our fans um, and really stoking that fandom for all of our different sports properties. Wonderful. And Jessica, tell me about what you're working on here at Salesforce. Yeah, so I've been at Salesforce for 16 years, and in my current role, I am Senior Vice President of Experiences for um, Cloud and Industry. So um, that includes content, demand gen, events, community marketing for all of our core clouds as well as our industries. That's a big job that you've got. It's fun. (laughs) It's a really fun job. It's a big team. Tell me about experiences. I mean, you know, I hear that word a lot. I've been here seven years, so you've got a little bit of time on me. But tell me what we mean by experiences. What, What is that? Wow. Well, when I think about customer experiences, I mean, it's everything from, you know, how we engage with our customers digitally and physically. I mean, I think we're lucky enough now that we're nearing the other side of the pandemic that we can be together again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really thinking about, you know, the cohesive journey and every touch point that we have with our customers. Great. Well, today, I think with both of you here, it's going to be amazing to talk about building teams. That's that's what we're talking about, building high functioning and powerful marketing teams. So things are really challenging right now. I think we've all been challenged by working in this pandemic environment, by being remote. I mean, can you talk about right now how you're building relationships with your teams, how you're building trust? What does that look like? Sabrina, maybe you can start with that. Uh, sure. I think first and foremost, and, and Jessica and I have talked about this in the past too, is is really looking at each member of your team, you know, as an individual and their individual needs and being flexible and responding to them on that level. With where we are right now, um, it's incredibly important for them to feel like you, number one, you care, you emphasize, um, but also that you are a partner with them in getting them to be able to do their best work, right? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's been really key. Mm -hmm. And Jessica, you've got a big team that you're working with right now. spread out all over the country, all over the world. How are you building culture and and trust into into your relationships? Yeah, I think it's all about leading with empathy and also being vulnerable as well. 
right? I mean, there's so much going on. I mean, the last couple of years, not just COVID, but there are a lot of world events too, right? Mm-hmm. And we were just in a session earlier today and, you know, you know, there's the tragic shooting in Uvalde um, a couple of weeks ago. I have two kids, seven and four. I could not finish work that day. I had to go and get my kids, spend a little extra time with them. And I was very open with the team about how I was feeling. And so I think it's important to be really real and um, authentic and vulnerable mm-hmm. um, because if you do that, then it opens the door for your team members to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times too, from the outside, people see leaders and they see executives and they're like, oh, well, they have it all together. How are they so buttoned up? And she's able to be, you know, a mom and she's put together as a mom and she's, you know, doing her thing at, at work. But that's not always the case. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm just surviving a lot of days too. And so sometimes my kids are screaming in the background and we have crushed goldfish in the backseat of our car. And mm-hmm. I'm very open about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that my teams can just like, take a breath and be like, okay, I don't have to like be perfect either. I can be real. I can be myself and, um, and share the mess as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Sabrina, right now, are you in the office? Are you out of the office? What's the team set yeah. up? Yeah. So I think for NBC Sports, we've done an incredible job of really trying to listen and really look at how work and, and the, the new future of what work looks like. So our teams are on a flex schedule. We do a, a 2 to one which is two days in an office, two days at home, and one per year schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also taken a look at permanently remote employees, um, what jobs or functions could could come about from that perspective. I myself am a permanently remote employee. Um, part of my team is in the office. Part of my team is also remote. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely depends on who. And, and again, I think that goes back to flexibility. But I think it also goes to how you're finding the best team and the best people for your team, no matter where they are, where they're located, mm-hmm. um, how they need to work to make life and work balance for them. Um, and, and so I would say flexibility for us has been has been key during all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the challenges for people leaders now is not having as much face time. And it feels like culture that's been established before the pandemic was there. People understood what it was. Salesforce culture is very strong. But I heard a stat yesterday in a conversation uh, something like 50% of Salesforce employees have been hired since the beginning of the pandemic. How are you going to maintain culture as an organization, as a leader? You know, Zoom calls, Slack, it's all great, but it's not the same. So, Jessica, I'm curious how you see that playing out. I mean, it is hard for sure. Um, and especially because, you know, we're at Connections right now. And it's been amazing because I have been able to meet so many of my team members for the first time. I actually yeah. <laughs> witnessed you this morning meeting some of your team members for the first time. And that was so fun to watch. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And we did a little karaoke last night. And there's nothing like just good old fashioned, like in-person team bonding. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found some creative ways um, to do it, um, sometimes at the expense of... Um, you know, some laughs about me. (laughs) Um, But we've done some, you know, we've done some fun things. Like um, I actually, you know, shared earlier, like I, you know, Shannon, you know, uh, we had an all hands call and she was introducing her new leadership team and we were sharing old pictures of ourselves. And I, you know, shared one of myself in the 80s, to be fair. And this was very on trend haircut. 
but it was me as a six-year-old with a mullet. Yeah. And my mom, she's an immigrant. She didn't really know what was the style. And I guess punk, she called them punk hairdos. Uh-huh. Business in the front, party in the back. Yeah. It was a real thing. But anyways, um, one of my coworkers, she said to me, well, you know, like, I think that this, this actually really embodies who you are as a person, right? Like you get your stuff done, but you're a good time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I hope you did, I didn't offend you. And I was like, that is the best compliment you could have ever given me. And mm-hmm. so we've kind of embodied this hashtag on my team and it's be the mullet. Yeah. And so <laughs> if I were to have a t-shirt made and that would, that would be my slogan mm-hmm. on there. And so we try to br- bring in the fun everywhere we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing I would say is, you know, I am a permanently remote employee, but I am actually getting more FaceTime with some of my team members that I wouldn't normally have had as much FaceTime with in a virtual world Mm -hmm. Um, versus if I were in the office and and thinking back to being in the office. And, you know, you meet with your direct reports, you have your weekly bigger team meetings, but the, the value that I've found of really being able to open myself up to connect and give time to maybe our entry-level employees, maybe some of our cross-functional teams, that I would not have had that time in office to give to them has become much easier, more simpler, more accessible Mm -hmm. um, in a virtual world. And so while sometimes we look at it as like it's hard to create that culture, keep that culture, um, on the flip side, I think that there's actually some added benefits of visibility across all levels of teams and across functional teams. Mm Well, and I, what, I, what I love too is, you know, everybody's been working from home. And so suddenly we've been building even more personal relationships with our colleagues and even like the, the leaders, right, um, that we report into because you're seeing the messiness in their lives. You're seeing their kids pop in. You're seeing their dogs barking. You're seeing their annoying husbands interrupt them, you know, <laughs> in the middle of a conference call. And so I feel like it's, it's not... It's not just husbands. <laughs> <laughs> that was just my husband. <laughs> Sorry if he's listening out there. Um, But all of a sudden, I think we've all just become more human. Mm -hmm. We have. And, you know, Jessica and I were again in our session earlier talking about the early days of of going to a more virtual work environment. There was a lot of apologizing for like, oh, my dog popped in. Oh, you know, um, there's noise in the background. My kids are screaming. And now we're in this spot where I'm like, don't apologize. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, it's life. Mm-hmm. We're all human. Um, show me the dog. Bring your kid into the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really humanized leaders to their teams um, because a, a, a lot of times, you know, they never see that side of you at work. And mm-hmm. so personally, I, I have found it very beneficial. Well, let's pivot and talk a little bit about skills. So we're building these marketing teams. Sabrina, can you start by telling us about skills? And these can be technical skills, soft skills, hard skills of what you're looking for when you're putting a team together? Yeah, I think hard skills, there are some hard skills that are important. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, curiosity, curiosity is everything. That idea of wouldn't it be amazing if, wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be cool if, um, how can we do that? And really just someone who can think what else is there Mm -hmm. and not just do the work that's put in front of them day in, day out, that can't really be taught. And that is something that when I'm, when I'm interviewing and hiring, um, I'm looking to see, is there a passion for what they're talking about? But is there also this kind of curiosity around what we currently do? Have we ever thought of something else? Um, you know, I just recently brought someone onto the team who, 
you know, posed a question to me in the interview that was like, okay, so I was looking at your emails and have you ever considered doing X, Y, Z? And I was like, oh, this, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that. Have you thought of, have you considered? That's the skill that, that really speaks to me when I'm looking to build my team. Mm-hmm. Can I just yes and to that? I Absolutely. love that so much. <laughs> I think the other thing too is, uh, yes, again, their hard, some hard skills are necessary, um, but if they're open to taking feedback and coaching, I think a lot of the times, you know, when we do our interview process here, there are the initial rounds, but if you make it to a final, there's a presentation round and we, we um, spend like two coaching sessions as a part of that um, just to see how they react to feedback, right? And internalize the feedback and apply it. And the presentation is less about what they're presenting, but it's the process and how we got there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important. And then I also really want people on the team that aren't just thinking about their immediate swim lane or their immediate project, but thinking about how they can rise the tide of the boats or rise the boats around them, right? Be the tide that rises the boats around them. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about, okay, well, if I you know, did this amazing program, how can I bring in, you know, this other team here that could benefit from the program? Or can I then take these learnings and send it over there and maybe they can scale it for their product or their industry? Mm-hmm. And so um, that to me just shows like a different level of leadership versus somebody who's just really thinking tactically about what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges is, you know, how do you create an environment where maybe some, an employee who feels not as comfortable reaching out to other teams, not as comfortable promoting what they're doing, you know, quieter, more introverted kind of person, how do you encourage them to do that in a way and build that trust? And then there are certain people that they're just not going to be comfortable doing that. Are there ways that you can help facilitate that? Well, I think first and foremost, you need to understand the people on your team. There are people who don't, don't want to be called out. They don't, right. they want to, they want to participate, but they don't need the, the praise. They don't want you to call them out for whatever they've contributed. Mm-hmm. So that's first and foremost. I think the thing that we have found very helpful with some of those team members is we do a lot of virtual brainstorms. So when we're looking at new projects and then you have the ability via all of our collaborative tools to go in and to add in your ideas, add in your thoughts, and no one knows who did it, right? So there's a little autonomy to it that allows people who would not necessarily speak up in a meeting to do a virtual brainstorm where they're able to feel like they can get their idea out there in a way that doesn't call attention to them. Mm-hmm. And we have had some of our most incredible, insightful, creative campaigns coming from people that we had never really heard from in that more in-person brainstorm type session. Mm -hmm. And so that to me has been a really great learning for utilizing tools, but allowing people to to find their way to their voice without necessarily having to be raising their hand in a meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have um, weekly and, and also monthly meetings where we're just sharing projects, right? And I think I agree. I think some people just aren't super comfortable. I think some want to learn and become more comfortable. And so I think the more that we have these and the more um, we have people present, and it's not just the leaders that are presenting, but it is, you know, um, the folks that are like entry level, like really doing the work um, and tag teaming with others too. I think that takes some of the pressure off and we also make it fun. So it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm coming in front of a big audience with, you know, executives only, but it is fun and we have 
music and, you know, sometimes people come in in costumes. So it makes it a little less serious, but also gets them trained up on speaking up because it is, you know, I don't think that people should be put on the spot to speak up if they don't want to, but I also think that people need to also learn and also share their own work, right? So other people are not taking credit for their work. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it's a balance for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, Jessica mentioned we were at, we're at Connections right now. My team um, did an incredible campaign around the Super Bowl and the Olympics being on one day together. Uh, we called it Super Gold Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was incredible to see them, both of them, this is their very first time presenting, not just at a Salesforce conference, but also just in general in front of large crowds of people. And so proud, you know, proud moment to see my team up there really starting to to, to grow and flourish and, and sharing the work that they're doing. Um, incredible opportunity for them. But as you say, like, let them shine with the work that they've done and incredibly proud of them. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, too, is like making sure they feel well prepared to present, right? I think I often, you know, in my career, I've like felt really nervous presenting, especially when I was more junior. And so I share that with them a lot. And it's like, yeah, I think a lot of times you see more senior people, it seems like really natural and doesn't seem practiced. And I'm like, actually, I practice sometimes when I'm nervous for a presentation. I have my safe um, group of people that I, you know, will just spitball with or make them listen to me. Um, and you need to find the same. And I also spend time just like practicing with them and just making them feel more comfortable. And so mm-hmm. just giving them that space and letting them know, like, we all get nervous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And talk to me a little bit about resilience, because sometimes stuff doesn't go right, <laughs> as we all know. And we need to come back from those setbacks. I'm curious how you think about resilience with your team through feedback, how, how you can coach somebody and, and help them. I mean, are there some techniques there that, or some experiences that you can think about? We've really, and this is something I think we have to think about more and more now, especially being remote and et cetera, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, Jessica, anything on resilience? We have something on my team that we call facepalm moments. Uh-huh. We actually, we love to celebrate our wins, but we also celebrate our fails. Yeah. And, um, and just taking the time out to have the debrief is super important. And it's really hard here at Salesforce because we're always on to the next. Always. Um, I mean, we're, you know, Connections is, is wrapping up. We're already like on to London World Tour next week and then New York World Tour. Um, but making sure that we're disciplined about, you know, doing the recaps and then celebrating the fails and talking about those facepalm moments mm-hmm. and normalizing it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really helped us. Um, and then you mentioned feedback as well. Um, feedback is so important and it's a culture that we've built um, on my team, especially and, and across Salesforce. But also learning and knowing those on your team, those folks on your team and how they like to receive feedback. Is it in the moment um, or do they do better, you know, let, giving them the space to finish the project and then doing like an after the fact, like feedback session. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the it goes back to what we were talking about, about trust being, you know, at Salesforce trust is the number one value. Sabrina, you mentioned knowing how the person is going to receive that feedback. What are some other things to think about there? Yeah, I would say, you know, I have one of my big tips was always lead with a positive. You know, I think we've all heard that a lot, but it's true, you know, tell them where they did really well. Mm-hmm. But when you're giving that constructive feedback on areas for improvement, for me, it's always been about the why and not just, you know, here's an area you need to improve in, but 
what is it going to get you to improve in that area? So like, why is it important for them to improve that particular skill or that particular thing that they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and giving them the why, I think, helps them better understand and, and not take it so personally. Mm-hmm. Right. If you relate it to the business on the flip side, I also use myself as an example a lot. So I will own up to my team when I make a mistake. They need to see that I am human and making mistakes. They need to see when I have done something that like maybe I need a key learning or takeaway from Mm -hmm. um, so that it doesn't always feel one way. And I ask my team for feedback on myself um, so that they also feel comfortable giving me criticism so that when I am having to give them some tips or some feedback, it doesn't feel like it's always coming in that one direction, right? Mm-hmm. And so I highly recommend getting feedback from your team on, on things where you know you have not maybe done your exact best and you want them to, like that's a great time to kind of prompt them to give you feedback mm-hmm. to see if they will tell you honestly what they think as a key takeaway for improvement. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And we're, we're actually working on performance reviews right now. And part of the agenda, it is, yes, I'm going to give you feedback, but I'm, we're carving out space for you to give me feedback as well. What do mm-hmm. you need more of, less of from me? How can I better help you and your teams? I think the other thing too, um, how to deliver the feedback. Yeah. Um, I think that if you come from a place of, I am here to help you and I really want to help you be your best and show up as your best, that goes a long way, right? Because this is not, I'm not here to just criticize you. I'm really here to help you be your best. Then I think that that helps establish a trust as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. We know what we want in our teams. We're starting to build our team. Now the big real challenge is how to find the right people. So let's talk a little bit about how to find people. How has recruiting changed? That was really something I wanted to talk about in this conversation now as we said, with the pandemic, with remote work, et cetera. What's changed in recruiting and how you're looking at people? Sabrina, if you want to jump in. Yeah, I mean, I think all credit to NBC Universal in looking at during the pandemic and, and specifically with NBC Sports, we are based in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, not an inexpensive area of the country to live in. And just by its very nature of the cost of living um, can, in all honesty, cost some people out, right? So um, that need to have to relocate when you're looking at entry level people, Mm -hmm. um, it's a barrier. It's a barrier for a lot of people who may not live locally, who um, may not have the same infrastructure family wise or, or, or others. So really starting to take a look at how we could be more flexible with relocation, with where they need to work out of or not. Um, I think has really changed how we approach recruitment mm-hmm. um, and has really opened us up to a lot more talent than if we stayed completely um, a need to be in the office the five days a week in that Stanford area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we don't talk enough about the economic inequalities that come into play for taking jobs in certain cities and certain locations in, in the country. Mm-hmm. I think the benefit of that too, right? Because before we mostly had offices in large cities, right? And now we're able to recruit and bring in talent from everywhere and they have diverse like opinions and backgrounds as well. I'm not just talking racially, ethnic, ethnically, but just experience-wise as well. And I think one thing that Salesforce has done a really great job of as well is we don't require any level, uh, any level of education anymore. 
I'm wondering how you've seen this playing out in both of the organizations over the past 12 months or so around the candidates you're seeing, around partnerships with HR and hiring. How is that? Are you seeing changes there, Sabrina? Um, We're definitely seeing changes. I mean, I will tell you, I made it by the time I became a hiring manager, um, a personal goal of mine that I actually don't look at where people go to school. I typically don't even glance at the first top of someone's resume. I don't want to know what year you graduated. I don't want to know what college you went to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't look at where you live. I legitimately want to look for other keywords, other things, the flow of your resume, and, and really what, where your job experience is. Mm-hmm. And that is how I have found the best employees. Um, to me, I went to a very small private college, um, I did not go to an Ivy League school or anything else, and so maybe that plays into it a little bit in all truthfulness. Um, But I don't think that where you went to school has a lot of bearing on how you're going to perform as an employee. So Mm -hmm. I've I've actually, that's very strict. I've even asked HR, like, if you want to strip that out of a resume, I'm totally fine with that. They don't, but I, I choose not to look at it. And, and I think that's the same for age too, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at that graduation year has also been something I don't typically pay attention to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the heuristics around that are so powerful. You know, we make these very quick assessments based on school or age. Uh, so taking that out of the mix is important. So when you look at that flow inside that, so you've eliminated those other pieces and now you're looking at the flow of that resume, what what are the things that stand out to you? What, what are you looking for there? Um. Believe it or not, I think that sometimes personality as well as um, a little bit of insight into who they are as a person comes through in the word choice that they use Mm -hmm. as well as in in what they choose to put forth um, from different positions that they've held. So, you know, if they're talking more about working in collaboration as a team, then you know you've got someone that might be more adept at being a team player. Mm -hmm. If it's a lot of I did, I did, I did, um, you know, there's different things that you can look at and how it's put. Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember someone that I hired um, at at another position a a few companies ago who literally wrote at the top of their resume, I love email marketing. (laughs) It was literally just under their name, like, you know, and I was like, I need to interview this person. And everybody else was like, really? Like, that seems kind of weird and out of the ordinary. I'm like, no, that says passion to me. Like, um, and so it's those little intangible things sometimes that just hit you the right way from, mm-hmm. from a resume that can can really move the needle and pique your interest. And did you end up hiring that I person? I did. And she's in, she was incredible. And after I left that position, she took on my role. And she just recently took on a very large role at another company. Incredibly proud of her. And she does love email marketing. <laughs> I love that story. And she knows how to write a subject line. She does. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great story. And it's a great transition into how we get stuff done. So can we talk about technology and tools a little bit? So one question I had was sort of marketing has typically been a consumer of the technology stack. So IT is buying tools, marketing is using those tools. There's a separation there. And I think over the years that's coming closer and closer together where marketers are really technologists as well and partnering within an organization to help figure out what tools we want to use and how we want to use them, et cetera. I mean, Sabrina, can you talk a bit about that, about how you use tools as part of your practice? Sure. I mean, I think 
at NBC Sports, the great thing is our um, kind of tech team, we are in full collaboration. So we have weekly meetings. They come to us asking us what we're looking to do in the future. And um, we definitely partner on all of the choices. So we don't get given any of our um, MarTech stack. We are part of the decision makers. Um, We actively, I go to them and say, okay, here is what I want to accomplish. Are you working with any vendors already? And if not, Let's go find some together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely a collaboration. They have, I don't believe, ever brought anyone in into our stack that was not um, someone that I had gone through, you know, a little bit of onboarding with, had a presentation for, got to test, got to do it. Because as the end user, if it doesn't work for us, mm-hmm. it's not the right solution. Mm-hmm. And that is very much the partnership that we have with our tech team. Mm-hmm. I just want to underscore what you said, Michael, um, about... IT and marketing coming closer together, right? Because we just launched not too recently this uh, our latest state of marketing report. Yeah. And 20% of the marketing budget is on technology now. And that's about as much as what we're spending on advertising as well. So more and more, you know, of our budget pie is on technology and also automation and personalizing, right? And engaging with our customers at scale. We have to, you know, we need technology in order to scale. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how marketers are sort of breaking silos. This is something we think about a lot with our customer 360 and thinking about the different parts of the organizations uh, coming together both from a data side but also working together. Can you talk about how marketers can be at the center of breaking those silos across the organization? I mean, I would say that you know the office of the CMO and the marketing department they are one of the main stakeholders of the customer experience, right? Um, and, you know, customer experience, it's not just marketing, but it's inclusive of, you know, how you serve your customers, how you, you know, sell to your customers, how you upsell to your customers, how you create loyalty, hopefully, for life, right? And often marketing is that very first touch point, and it's the first time we're starting to collect the data, right, on, on um, your customer, and so um, marketing is very, very much core to that experience um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and connecting all the silos and bringing the silos together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in a way across the organization, we're, we're all marketers in some ways, which is each one of these touch points. Sabrina, I'm curious about sort of the stakeholders in, in your organization. How, how do you think about that between customers and partners and audience? Just tell me a little bit about that in your business? Yeah, I mean, I think we have various stakeholders. We look at our marketing team as kind of the hub of the wheel Mm -hmm. and how we're serving and connecting all of those different, um, whether they're internal partners, external partners. um, It's really on marketing to pull it all together and make it all work together. Mm -hmm. And so we use that analogy a lot of that hub of the wheel. We've got a little bit of knowledge of all of the different departments, stakeholders, partners, but we're connecting them all together so that you have a really cohesive and thoughtful, um, whether it's a campaign or a platform that you're working on at any given time, and that there's visibility across all the different groups for what everyone's doing. And that tends to lend to some really great, like, oh my goodness, you over there, you're doing this thing. I could kind of amplify that with this thing I'm doing over here that was completely siloed before. Mm-hmm. Um, but because marketing serves as kind of that 
intermediary um, for us at NBC Sports. It, it really does open up a whole world of new promotional and marketing opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that loops back to what we were saying about looking for that entrepreneurial kind of spirit within employees, which is you, you have to be doing that. You have to be looking at what's happening across the organization and reaching out, making those connections. And I think marketers are probably <laughs> naturally pretty good at that. So I think that's a good emphasis for people to think about. Okay, so my final question is, we know what we're trying to do. We're building these teams. Sabrina, can you describe what does your dream team look like? Um, well, I think I told Jessica earlier in our session, I have my dream team. <laughs> they are absolute incredible rock stars. Um, but the part of that that makes them so already my dream team is they are curious. They are asking those right questions. They are always leaning in on how do we make something better? How do we improve? What haven't we done? What's new out there? And for me, it's that, I, I you know, common theme for me is that state of being commonly curious at all touch points mm-hmm. Um is the key to like a dream team that works together well, that's inspiring each other, playing off each other and really leaning in that way. Um, and I, I think I've achieved that right now. I, I, I've got a pretty great team. Oh, that's great. Jessica. How do I follow that? That was so good. (laughs) That was so good. No, I have such an incredible team too. Like I, for me, my dream team is one that comes in every day, passionate about what they do they're cu- yes, they're curious and they want to break things and challenge things and not just do the same every day, but not innovate just for the sake of innovating. But they're also thinking about the customer experience and journey, what the problems we're trying to solve. Um, and so that our, innov- our innovation that we're doing, you know, makes sense. And they're not just random acts of marketing. Um, and they're people who are kind and want to help one another and we have fun and don't take ourselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is like that is my dream team. That is the team that I have now as well. Well, I think that's a great place to close. And I've enjoyed talking with this team. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you. And thanks, Jessica. Great to see you. Happy connections. Yes. That was Sabrina Heiss. She's the Vice President of Consumer Engagement at NBC Sports Group. And Jess Koberis, SVP Cloud Marketing at Salesforce. To hear and watch more content from Salesforce's annual Connections Conference, head over to Salesforce Plus. That's salesforce.com slash plus. Thanks for listening today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios. 